And God, we are so grateful that a great God such as you loves us and cares for us and just looks out for us so well. Thank you, God. And I just pray that you would uh, enlighten, encourage, uh, inspire us um, who know you to live for you. And for those who may not know you yet, uh, would they discover the beauty and the glory and the goodness of what it means to know such a generous, loving Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And I am Pastor Jim. I'm one of the pastors here. Pastor Bruce uh, was invited by a close friend and uh, the dad and then the student that he's had in a couple of those classes that he goes out to in Boston uh, for the son's ordination in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So uh, he thought that was really important to, to be present at. So he went out there and I get to step in for him. And um, I did want to remind you that on Wednesday night, we have Dr. Sam Wellbaum is going to be here, uh, it, right here in the auditorium at 6.30. He's one of our uh, church members, and what a blessing to have somebody who um, is kind of extra qualified, and he's a specialist uh, regarding C.S. Lewis, and he's going to be talking to us about the book, The Great Divorce, on Wednesday. And I know what you're thinking right now, I've never read that book, I can't go. Yes, you can. Um, uh, you, I really encourage you to, to, to join Sam. Uh, he's a brilliant communicator and takes uh, some of the, those older writings of Lewis and brings them down so we can understand them and be encouraged by them in our faith. So they're outstanding, and I think you'd really uh, appreciate being here. So that's Wednesday night here at 6.30. So uh, we're talking about uh, the book of 1 Peter for these several weeks and uh, so I'm stepping in, taking off uh, where we left off. So we're in 1 Peter 1. And if you look at the screen, what you're going to see up there are various modes of transportation. You may feel a certain way about them. I feel good about every single one of these modes of transportation. Uh, I'm a fan. Number one, I ride a bike. I don't know, you know, I used to be a surfer guy. And I, look, surfing didn't work for me very well as far as, like, being able to breathe. Uh, go. <laughs> while going upstairs and letting my pants fit and everything. So I had to get a little more active than how I surfed because I just wasn't that good. So I got back on the bike, which I was into in college and everything. So that is a can that's the exact kind of bike I have right there, exact color. It's pretty awesome, right? You all want to go riding with me? Saturday, Byron and I and uh, Tony the Machine Vizzini, who's a member here, we plan to, we don't know if we're going to make it, but we plan to ride 100 miles on Saturday. Who's in? When I say plan to, that's an important qualifier. Um, picture number two is Kyle Larson. He's a 2021 NASCAR. Uh, how many of you love NASCAR? Who? Yeah, like three of you. Let me tell you, <laughs> let me sell you on NASCAR. Here's the best thing about NASCAR. You, you go to church, you go to lunch, you get home, and whatever race is on, there's going to be somewhere between, you know, 60 and 130 laps left in the race. So you come home, you turn the race on, you fall asleep, you wake up with 20 to go, and it's awesome. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. So I like NASCAR. I understand why people don't. Um, I talk about the new Corvette every now and then because that thing is beautiful. Have you seen one of those on the road? That is a gorgeous car, and uh, I really like one. I don't want one. 
in spite of the fact that I admire them. Um, so if you're thinking about buying me one, it's okay. I don't want it. Uh, but uh, it's, it's just a beautiful card. Then um, for my birthday, my birthday's in January. My wife bought me a ticket and all my sons bought their own tickets so we could go to Monster Truck together. I took that picture last Saturday. Uh, that's Gravedigger um, just going off. And then um, a lot of fun. Uh, and then that's our family van on the bottom right corner. I call it my wife's car because I don't want to own that. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's the family van. And all those, all those modes of transportation are different. Um, looks, let's think about how different. The, the, the monster truck has 60-inch wheels and almost 1,500 horsepower, whereas my family van has 22-inch wheels and not even 300 horsepower. All these things are different, and they have different purposes. Now, you're going to be tempted to be funny here. Be real. Which one do you want to take your family on a vacation in? Three. See, I told you you're going to want to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to fit seven people in car number three as much as, you know, maybe you can tow it, and, but that doesn't count. They're all different, but one's set apart for, a, for doing life, and it's the family van. You go to the store, you go to the school, you go to church, you go on vacation, you do life in the family van, and Peter is telling Christian people how to do life. And that life that we are to live is different. It's set apart. And he starts this section of scripture that we're going to look at um, with some helpful kind of warm-up posturing. Okay, just kind of getting ready. When he says in verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Anytime you see a therefore, you got to see what it's there for. There's a reason why it's there. And, and so he's saying because of everything that's true in chapter 1, and we'll look at that in just a minute, everything that's true in, in, the, in, in the previous 12 verses, prepare. Get prepared. Like, don't just randomly luck yourself into this mindset that he's calling. Prepare. If we were going on vacation, some people take, you know, if you're going on an outdoor camping trip, that's like an all-day prepare, load, load everything, get every... It, it, it's really actually days because you're, you're getting your stuff all ahead of time. And you're, you're putting in very intentional very specific and focused effort. And that's what he's telling us here. Prepare, and he's telling us, prepare your mind. And why, why is the mind important? Because the mind is where everything you live out of your life originates. Of course, what you think, but what you say and what you do all starts in your mind. And he says, therefore, preparing your mind for action. What would that mean? So in... Um, in, a, in other versions, older versions, this says, gird up the loins of your mind. So that type of preparation would be, you know, the dress of the day was long flowing robes. And if you had something to do, 
you took your belt and you hiked your robe up so you, your legs would move more freely. And you generally, generally were preparing for either work, competition, or battle. That's what's going through the minds of the audience when Peter writes, prepare your minds for action. He's referring to their faith. He's referring to what they have in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, be sober-minded, which that phrase shows up five times on 1 Peter. What does it mean to be sober-minded? Because I think we go to substance use when we think of that. And certainly that could apply. But the, the, the more specific across all of life kind of application is be focused. Don't be easily distracted. Stay disciplined. Be consistent. Don't give up. Be sober-minded. Have an awareness about the fact that there is work to be done. There are contests and battles to be won. Prepare your mind for action. Stay focused. Stay sober-minded. And he says, we need a mindset. We're going to be different. A synonym for different that comes out of the Bible is holy. The word holy, when it refers to God or Christians, means set apart, unique. It means different. And we are called to live our lives differently, but that starts in the mind, and that's what Paul is telling us. So I want to share with you today three mindsets for holy living. They come right out of this passage, and they will help you if you commit yourself to them. The first thing to set your mind on is your salvation. Verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And your salvation is explained in verses 3 to 12, and I will just list off what those verses tell you. You have today, as promised, in Christ. You're elect, in other words, you're chosen by God. You're part of God's plan since before creation. Think about that. Before your grandparents, your great-grandparents, their great-grandparents, back before David, back before Moses, back before Abraham, back before creation, God had you in mind. And he had your redemption in mind. He had your salvation in mind. You've been born again, it says in uh, chapter one up there, to a living hope. You own an inheritance in heaven. You don't experience it yet, but it's yours. It's as fully yours now as it will be when you take possession of it. It's yours. It cannot die or be corrupted or fade away. It's eternal. Your eternal life starts the day you got saved. It doesn't feel like it. We don't realize all the glory that we will realize in heaven. But it's not make a decision for Christ and get eternal life after 40, 50, 60 years of living when you die and go to heaven. You have eternal life now. The quality of life from God that you have right now is eternal. You have the full and complete true life fulfillment 
that you will realize everything that you were designed, created, and saved to realize when Jesus returns. So important was the work of Jesus Christ in your life that prophets, prophets were prophesying about that work, prophesying about that work centuries ago. The work of Jesus in your life is so precious, it's so sweet, it's so miraculous that Peter tells us angels desire to look into it. Like heavenly beings are looking down on you and me right now, marveling that we can worship freely, that we can interact with God in a two-way love relationship, that we can esteem him from earth like they do in heaven. And they look down and they marvel. Peter's telling us to set your mind on this salvation. I came to Christ when I was 16 years old. It's been a little while ago. And I've learned that my salvation and yours today, if you have it, and what's potentially yours if you don't know Jesus yet, has three layers. Your salvation matters about your past. It's my past where I discovered that God loves me. It's my past where I received his forgiveness. And all my sin got thrown away because of the work of Jesus Christ. All of it. It's paid for. I've been made new in Christ. It's kind of funny. Every now and then, I've tried to encourage him to stop doing it because it was like really almost a weekly thing for a while there. Bruce and I worked together um, when, when we were in college, and uh, uh, he was in college quite a bit longer than me uh, while we first worked together, and then on staff, just kind of in the early days. And I was a little bit different, and he'll talk about old Jim <laughs> in front of everybody. <laughs> And it's cute and it's funny. I don't really mind that much because it's really a testimony of Jesus Christ. But it's like, you know, old Jim would have, you know, I don't know, beaten you up for that or something. I don't know. He'll, He'll just make a reference to it. God changes you. And if we sat at coffee and and I asked and you asked me what are the ways Jesus told you, has changed you, I could tell you, like it would take a half an hour or longer. And that's going on even still in the present. So your salvation has these three layers. It's your past, but it's your present. We're free in Christ. We're guided and empowered by the Spirit. We're in that loving two-way, we have two-way love relationship with the Father. We have peace with God right now. I was uh, working on reviewing some counseling materials this week and uh, ran across this list on one of the pages uh, Pastor Bruce has shared a similar list before. We've given it as a handout. We've given it as a bookmark. You can find it online. Uh, there's 23 things on this list. I'll just give you seven. These are scriptural, scripture verses about our identity in Christ. This is your present. This is true of you now. You're free for, forever, today and into, from condemnation. Romans 8, 1, there's now, therefore, now, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I mean, if you know Jesus, there's like, there's no condemning, there's no judging, there's no coming after you. You've been made righteous, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says. 
Think about it. This just blows my mind. I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing according to Ephesians 1.3. Every, really? Every? Like I don't have like 60% because I feel like I don't even deserve 60%. But Ephesians 1.3 says, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And Peter's telling us, have a mindset set on your salvation. I was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame before him. I have direct access to God through the spirit. In other words, I don't have to go talk to somebody more spiritual than me, somebody who dresses better than I do or more holy or righteous, not somebody who holds a, an office, who preaches from the stage. I don't have to go to them to get to God. I have free and direct access to God because of Jesus Christ being in my life. Christ himself is in me. Like, what's better than that? Is a Corvette better than that? Of course not. You have all there is to have if you have Christ. And last, Colossians 2.10 said, I've been made complete in him. And so we think about our past and our present but what Paul, or Peter rather, is really encouraging here, specifically in this verse, is that you are sober-minded, setting your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's your future. Peter's telling us to set our hope. How many of you have ever had a hard day at work? You know what I mean? I work in ministry. Believe it or not, we have hard days at work. And around, you know, we're off at 4.30. Around 2.30, 3 o'clock, I'm thinking, oh, man, I get to go home. Pretty soon, I'll get to go home. No more problems, no more phone calls, no more email, no more pressure. I'm going to get to go home. And all the better if home means being with family and friends, and maybe even getting to do something cool like go to Monster Truck. Right? It just magnifies the hope. And so here we are in this messy, strange, confusing, scary, hurtful world, but we're going home. If you know Jesus Christ, you have hope in this world. And he's telling us, be focused. Keep your mind set on this. When things are going awry around you, try to, try to let that go and get it onto your hope. Look, he described it in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our, our, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So that future hope has nothing to do with anything I've done or can do. It's all about Jesus. Amen. To an inheritance that is imperishable, it cannot die. Undefiled, it can't be corrupted. Unfading, it's eternal. It's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And we're all grieved by various trials. Look around, just take a glance. 
Because I feel like sometimes we come to church and we think everybody around us has it all together. Because for five minutes of interaction and four, 45 minutes or an hour or so of watching people walk around us, smile, say, how you doing? I'm doing great. All of that we do. We think everybody around us has it together. No, we're all going through. We're all being grieved by various trials. But we can rejoice in the middle of that because of our salvation. And you know what that means? You're different. You will show up different in this world when you have your heart and your mind set on heaven. And heaven is just so glorious and grand and beautiful. You're poor now, but one day you're going to have the riches of God surrounding you. They are going to pave streets and highways with gold. You won't be poor anymore. You're hurting. You're not healthy. You're emotionally struggling. You've been wounded. There's been injustice in your life. You're hurting. Everything is put right in heaven. Everything is put right. And you're going there if you know Jesus Christ. You're lonely. You're hurt. You're insecure. One day, and it seems like it's far maybe, but it's not. In terms of eternity, it's not far. One day you will be whole. You will be with your heavenly Father in heaven. You will be with all of the kingdom saints from history. Lost loved ones, friends, will be together worshiping Jesus. And it's going to be so amazing If you want to live differently in this world, you have to have your mind set on your salvation. But then number two, you're going to need to set your mind on being holy. 14 to 16 say, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. I think that first line is really important and shouldn't be lost on us. What's Pastor Bruce's number one Bible reading tip? Slow down. As obedient children, it doesn't say because you're obedient children. Peter's trying to help us understand something in view of of a truth that every single human being on the planet can identify with. Maybe positively, maybe negatively, but you understand what an obedient child is. And you understand what it is to be obedient yourself as a child or not obedient. What he's doing here is helping us take that perspective, but I think there's something else that's really important to understand here. He's bringing us into the family. This is familial language. This is language about the family. This is helping us understand that there's a connection between us and God that is special, that is tender, that is loving. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, so you be holy, so you be different, so you be set apart in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. When I went to OCB High School, <laughs> way back, we played, uh, I played basketball. 
as a, uh, for my first three years of high school. And um, I had a lot to learn coming in my freshman year about what it meant to be an Oceanview basketball player. We had a very, <clears throat> excuse me, a very, very unique, intense preparation that not many schools did. And we, had, we were, from day one of the fall semester, we were training an hour a day, and then six weeks prior to the, to the season, we were just crazy organized, intense, wow, right? Just running, sprinting, training, drills. But then, <clears throat> when the season rolled around, we had to conduct ourselves very differently. On game days, all four levels uh, would dress in a burgundy V-neck sweater with a tie. We had to have a certain length of hair. We couldn't be too long. Um, we had to wear good, good pants and good shoes on those game days. And we walked around campus. Of course, we knew we were different. But walking on campus, everybody around us knew we were different. You know, we hung out together, and so three or four of us would be walking down the hallway. And we didn't, like, gloat in that. We didn't, like, we just wore it. We just owned it. But we were different. We knew it. The kids on campus knew it. You know what else? Our opponents knew it. We were different. We were set apart. And holiness is like that. Holiness is you being noticeably set apart like obedient children following the standards of their father. At Ocean View High School, we had all these standards we were asked to live up to. And as Christians, as people who name the name of Christ, who, who, people who worship the Father, we're called to standards from his word. We're called to be holy. We're called to be pure. We're called to have our minds and our words and our actions different than the rest of the world. We're to be obedient. When we show people, and when I share people, share, show people the gospel, we go to John 3.16 and we say, for God so loved the world. And the world means you, whoever I'm sharing with. And if you don't know Jesus today, I want you to know God, God loves you. And then we'll ask the question, does the world love God back? And it's not always easy to get to the answer, but the answer is no. And then it's, how do you know? And it's because the world doesn't do what God says. And that children illustration matters so much because it's, again, something we all can identify with on one level or another. But if you're a parent, you really get it because this is true. When your kids are asked to do something when they're asked to come along with family standards, whether that's beliefs or behavior or, or momentary obedience, when they do it quickly without question or pushback, when they do it without being asked, for whatever reason, I can't explain it because we're not taught this, I think it's inherent to the human race, that feels like love. When there is pushback, when there's hesitancy, when there's uh, a reluctance or just a refusal to do what they're being asked to do, that doesn't feel loving. And so we're called to be obedient, obedient, and obedience is not a couple things. Obedience, or rather holiness, like obedient children, 
isn't being friends with the world. What's the world? People want a definition. What's the world? Well, it's, it, it's such a gray area. We, it's not a gray area. It's the majority population's anti-God view of things. And James says that friendship with the world is hatred toward God. We're not holy if we're cozying up to the world. And there's another thing holiness isn't. It's not morality. Morality is based on cultural averages and norms. Basically, morality is based on popular opinion. It's easy to prove. What's our moral temperature in America in 2022 compared to 1952? What's our moral temperature in 2022 compared to 1982 when I graduated high school? Well, why does that evolve or devolve the way that it does? Because that's what morality it tends to do because it's rooted in human nature. Because human nature is infected by sin, morality fades. And what we end up doing is what used to be called evil, we call good. And what we used to call good, sometimes we even call that evil. So be careful when you think about holiness. Holiness is obedient children living up to the standards that God sets forth in his word. As part of his household, operating under his standards, different. Different in our friendships, different in our families, different in our marriages, different in our church participation. Different in our work ethic, different in our business ethics, different in how we're citizens in this world. Who you are and what you do matters, and it starts with your thinking. So Peter is calling us to live differently by setting our minds on being holy. Then he goes on in verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time in exile. You're going to set your mind on pleasing your father. It doesn't seem to wash, but it'll make sense to you in a second. I want to start, though, by telling you this. You don't set your mind on your salvation, on being holy and pleasing your father to earn, your, to earn his favor. Listen to how important this is. You cannot earn any more favor from God than you own as a believer in Jesus Christ. You can't get any more. How much more can you get than what we saw in 3 through 12? Actually, you can get a little more. Wait, I forgot. Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, uh, of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he made himself manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God and were ransomed. That word has to do with slaves being purchased and delivered out of being slaves and set free. And this verse goes, look what it says. Think with me. 
Look, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Your salvation cannot be bought. You cannot contribute enough of anything to earn your salvation. No amount of silver or gold will earn a person's salvation. You can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough. Not with the feudal ways of your forefathers. The forefathers he's talking about were men dedicated to religiosity. They were dedicated to good works and the appearance of knowing God. But not the heart and the mind and the behavior that lived to please a father who loved them so much. We please him because of his great love and his forgiveness that was poured out on us. These promises of hope, we please him above anyone else because he holds our future in his hands. If you've gone to school, played on a sports team, or worked a job, you've had a teacher, coach, or boss that you wanted to work for. You've also had some you didn't want to. I worked at a place, it's a long story about what they did, but it was basically an energy savings place while I was going to college called Transphase Systems. And I had, there were three bosses there. And one wore a suit and tie and he spent most of his time in the office and he'd come out every now and then into the warehouse and he'd look around and he'd like, you know, this is, it's his job, it's okay. So I'm not faulting him, it's just my perspective when I was 20. You know, he'd come out and he'd always find problems. I didn't want to work for that guy. I just wasn't fired up when he came in the warehouse. But then there was John. And John kind of oversaw the warehouse. And he's a Harvard grad. And he's working in this, you know, we're, we're, we're producing things. We're doing work. And I wanted to work so hard for John. He could ask, Jim, would it be okay? Could you work 12 hours Saturday? Sure, John. No problem. Like, I, I just, I want, you have that? I had coaches in high school. I had one coach. I played, like I told you, I played basketball. I had one coach, could not stand playing for him. Had another coach. I, I, was in the, I was a gym rat the year I had that guy. I wasn't getting home till like seven o'clock at night because I just wanted to be, because he would just keep the gym open. We could play one-on-one or three-on-three or whatever. And I wanted to play for him. I had their trust. I felt valued by these guys I wanted to play for. I, I knew they had my best interests at heart. And so sacrificing for them wasn't too challenging. That's what it means to please our Father. He's, he's for you like no other. He's done all the work. He's blessed you with every spiritual blessing. If you know him today, there's nothing he has for you that you don't have. You can trust him. You can live to please him. And there's so many different avenues, so many different channels, so many different opportunities to please somebody besides God. I'll talk to young parents and, you know, my kids weren't native to the, to the internet very much and they definitely weren't not native to the cell phone. Like if you have kids being born into that world, what a challenge. And we are drowning in opportunities to please people other than God even if it's just for an instant. But I think that's working into the hearts and minds of people, and that's why I think it's good to remember a verse like Galatians 1.10. Because it calls us to please God above pleasing 
other people, other audiences, maybe even ourselves, because here's what he said. Uh, Paul said in, in Galatians, he said, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I tri- uh, trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Man, that's definitive. And this is one of the cornerstone verses that got me through high school. I was saved going into my junior year. And I liked having friends. And I liked maybe going out with a girl. You know, like all the things you might want to be interested in in high school that demand approval. I wanted those things, but here's what I learned in high school, and here's what I'll share at an eighth grade graduation if I have the time, uh, the opportunity. Five things that got me through high school, this was one of them, and here's what I learned. That if I please God and don't please people, that's okay. That's okay. But if I please people and don't please God, that's sin. That's not living set apart. That's not being different. And so I know you understand that if you had a boss or a teacher or a coach that you like to play for compared to the ones play or work for that you didn't, you can see that this heavenly father that is pouring himself into your life as a loving, gracious father is somebody worth living to please. And so the call in our lives from Peter here is to set our mind on our salvation, to set our mind on being holy and to set our mind on pleasing the Father. But why? Why does any of this matter? Why in the world would it matter? In chapter two, here's what he says to kind of explain, I think, in a certain way, certainly this concept, but maybe even the whole book. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do you know what's the only way unbelievers will glorify God in the day of visitation? Is if they know him. This verse is explaining to us to be different, to live differently in this world because the world is watching. And they're, whether they know it or not, they're hungering for the salvation that only Jesus Christ can give and what we are, we are called to show them. We are called to live out and share the gospel so that people will glorify God in the day of visitation. We're called to be different to live life differently. And if we, we will do so. We will do a good job of that if we set our mind on our salvation. If we set our mind on being holy and we set our mind on pleasing the Father. If I can invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I think declarations are important. I think renewal is important. And so if you know Jesus Christ today, I want to invite you to do a couple things all between you and God. It seems like a good time for you to take five seconds just right now to thank and praise God for your salvation, the past, present, and future of it.
And then I additionally think it would be great if you just made a personal declaration of commitment or renewal to set your mind on being holy. And then I think we all go through these seasons. Sometimes they're short. Hopefully they're always short. And sometimes they go longer than we want. But maybe it'd be a good time for you to just tell God you want to please him. And maybe you've gotten too busy pleasing yourself above him or pleasing others above him. And then if you're in the room and you don't yet know Jesus, he loves you so much. One of the reasons you're here today, whether you know it or not, is because he's calling you to himself. You are here today and the gospel has been presented several different ways, several different times. And God brought you here so you could hear about that, so that you could respond and have a personal relationship with Jesus that you cannot get on your own because Jesus did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He died on a cross to forgive our sins and no amount of silver or gold, hard religious work, or good behavior is going to let you do that on your own. And so God did it for you by sending Jesus to die in your place. And if that's something that just goes beyond intriguing you today, and it's something you want, you could pray a prayer something like this right now. You could say, Dear Jesus, thank you for doing for me what I can't do for myself. Please forgive me for my sins. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. And we can pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you are that person, if you're the person who responded to Christ today, we want to hear about it. We want to help you. We want to help you in your faith. We want to help you understand what it means to be a new believer in Christ. So if you wouldn't mind filling out a connection card and indicating on there that you committed your life to Christ today, and you can take it over here to the prayer cross at the end of service or to a hello table in the back, and we will reach out and work to help you. And then if you have any other prayer needs or whatever, we would like to hear those as well. And so however we can help you during the course, not only of a Sunday service day, but through the course of the week, we'd love to do it. So it's been good to be together. God bless you guys.